The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Years ago, I worked for the San Francisco SPCA. And I made presentations to grade school children about humane pet care. I always tried to impress upon them that their pets need the same eight things that people do. Food, water, shelter, clothing. I wasn't advocating those cute little outfits for their pets, but just a collar with ID tags. Training, grooming, medical care, and love. Nearby to my office was a supermarket where I would sometimes walk on my lunch hour. There was a man who would sit at the entrance to the parking lot with his dog and a cardboard sign asking for help. Sometimes I would come out of the store with a bag of dog food and hand it to him. My reasoning at that time for not bringing the man something to eat as well was that the dog was an innocent victim of the situation, but that the man should be able to help himself. He should just take whatever job he can get and work his way back up. I blamed him for his predicament. Why wouldn't he just get on with it? What was he waiting for? Why wouldn't he just quit drinking or quit being lazy or whatever his problem was and just pull himself up by his bootstraps and get over it? Why should I help him when I was just living paycheck to paycheck myself? I felt the same way when I would walk back home to my apartment and three people would ask me for money in one block. I I remember saying that if I gave money to everyone who asked, that I would be out there begging too. I've come to learn that my initial reactions to people in need are actually very common. Many of us tend to believe that people can and should help themselves out of their predicaments. We wonder why they don't try harder. And we believe the myth that they've chosen to live the way they do. Think about it. Think about what's happening here with all the ice and the snow. 
And given appropriate options, would anyone really choose to live outdoors during a Boston winter, during a Massachusetts winter? Many of us also respond out of our own sense of scarcity, believing, believing that if we give and give and give, that we will end up in need ourselves. The level of need out there simply feels overwhelming. It's too much for any of us to tackle alone, so we try to cope by ignoring it. When we walk by someone begging on the street, we often look away and pretend that we don't see them. We stay engaged in conversation with our companions, or we pretend to talk on our cell phones. Sometimes I think we're afraid that if we really look that person in the eye and recognize their humanity, that we might recognize something of ourselves in them. If we get to know their story, that we might hear something of our own story. If we come to know the person and be known by them, that we might recognize our own frailty and vulnerability in theirs. I might recognize that by a couple of twists of fate or a couple of wrong turns, that could be me standing there with that cardboard sign and paper cup. And that's just too scary to think about. So it's easier instead to draw a big fat line between me and him, to become us and them, to commit them to some other category that's different from us. So instead of us all just being people, children of God, fellow travelers on this earth, experiencing different predicaments, we are blessed and they are the homeless, the needy, the less fortunate. It makes them seem less than human, even less loved by God. We come to believe it and so do they. But we have to know that that's not true, right? If you remember what Psalm 139 says, God doesn't play favorites. God knit us each together in our mother's wombs and knows our inmost parts. God knows us intimately and loves each of us completely as God's own special creation. If God can know us so well and love us so much, Shouldn't we try to see each other through God's eyes and to love each other as God loves us? And we hear in the Isaiah passage today that the fast that, that God chooses for us is to share our bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into our homes, and when we see the naked, to cover them. And when we talk about us, we're not just talking about us right here in this building. We're talking about all people of the earth whether we're experiencing homelessness, whether we're enjoying luxury, whether we're in spiritual need or in material need. Since I've come to know people who experience homelessness and material need, I've come to fill some of my own spiritual needs, even some that I didn't know I had. I've discovered great freedom in learning from my congregation who carry all of their material belongings with them, just how little I actually need. I feel honored to associate with people who are marginalized and outcast, just as Jesus did. I've come to see the face of Christ in their faces. And lastly, I've been entrusted with some very difficult stories. And there's one that I'd like to ask David to share with you today, his story. David, would you come forward? Good morning. Afternoon. Uh, let's see. Um, I grew up not too far from here. I grew up in a town called Framingham. So we are neighbors, once again. 
I uh, became homeless when I was living in Framingham. Oh, jeez. I might be God. <laughs> Sorry. See you later. <laughs> I hate these uh, cell phones. Um, I, so I, I became homeless at a very young age when I was living out in Framingham. Um, I, uh, my father was a workaholic and my mother was an alcoholic, and I had two other brothers and four sisters. So there were seven of us all together. Um, I felt scarred again. Sorry. Um, I, uh, now I just lost my train of thought. Uh, I became homeless at a very young age, uh, living out in Framingham. Um, I didn't really, boy, he likes me today. Um, okay, let's do this again. <laughs> I grew up in uh, Framingham, and I became homeless at a very young age, and my father was a workaholic, he was a business lawyer, and my mother was a housewife. Uh, I don't know what she did as a housewife, uh, because she always made us do all the work, and I hated it. Uh, well, I, I, as I was going through school and stuff, um, I, I got introduced to drugs and alcohol. Well, I was introduced to alcohol through my mother, and I picked up my first drink at the age of nine. Uh, yeah. All right, there we go. I just turned it down. Um, so I picked up my first drink at the age of nine uh, because... I couldn't figure out why my mother was kind of acting funny when she drank a Coca-Cola. And curiosity, why not? Uh, well, it took me for a ride because I ended up being homeless at the age of 16. And I ended up in, the, in, in Worcester. And um, after my father put me in an institution because he couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, beautiful. Um, so, dear Kathy, <laughs> there's a funny story that goes with a cell phone. When I get out of prison, I used to think people on cell phones were cops, and I used to think they were following me around all the time. <laughs> so anyway, I went to my first institution, and when I left, uh, I ended up in, in Worcester, being homeless, living on the railroad tracks, drinking wine all the time, with a lot of the old, older gentlemen uh, who actually gave me how to survive in the street. Um, and all we did was drink all the time. So being homeless and, and, and drinking all the time, and I just thought life was one big party all the time. So I really wasn't interested in doing stuff. Uh, I had an artistic ability when I was a kid. And I went to, as I was growing up, I went to art schools and stuff, and I, I don't know, I just wasn't interested anymore. I, and so I ended up getting into a lot of trouble. Because being homeless, I had to survive out here. And I couldn't get a job. Um, so I ended up doing a lot of crime. And I ended up in prison. So I spent a lot of prison time in my adult life. Uh, I spent a lot of time in this prison called Concord. 
and it wasn't fun. But uh, as I was incarcerated, uh, and through my own experiences in life, I, I kind of learned how to uh, write proposals and stuff like that so inmates could, you know, better themselves. Um, so I took that with me. Uh, every time I get out of jail, I'd end up right back because I'd be doing the same thing, expecting different results. And back in 1990, uh, I well, back in the when back in the late early 80s, I ended up in Boston, and um, because there really wasn't any resources out in Framingham, so I left. Uh, so I ended up in the streets of Boston and doing the same thing. Everywhere I went, I was always doing the same thing, and. I was getting into a lot of trouble with the court system. Um, so every time I'd get out, I'd either go to a halfway house or end up in the street. Uh, I'd only stay in the halfway house maybe for about a week or two, and I'd disappear. Whether I was on parole or probation or whatever, it didn't matter to me. I just wanted my freedom. I just wanted to be left alone so I could continue to do what I wanted to do. Uh, God was never really in the picture. Um, I grew up with a punishing God when I was a kid. Um, nothing seemed to be what I was doing was right. Uh, I, and I couldn't understand why I was getting beat up as I was coming out of church. So it just didn't make sense to me. Uh, I grew up with, like I said, like a lot of lawyers and nuns and ministers. and But that didn't do anything for me. Um, not too long ago, uh, I, I, I decided because I had enough of had been enough. Uh, about 19 months ago, my biggest problem was about five years ago uh, was crack cocaine, and I ended up smoking a pipe all the time. Uh, and how I made my money, I would panhandle. Uh, I would never ask anybody for anything because, I, first of all, I hated rejection. I didn't want nobody to ever tell me no. And um, people really weren't obligated to give me anything. Uh, and I was standing in front of a Dunkin' Donuts, beautiful spot, uh, and it was good. Back about five years ago, stemming panhandling for me was good. Uh, I, I would probably be, I'd probably make about over $100 a day. Beautiful. But it wasn't helping my addiction at all. And I kept going back and forth, like I said, back and back and forth to prison. Uh, my, I'm trying to make it short. My last arrest was uh, 19 months ago, at the 1st of July. Uh, that was my last crime. That was my last uh, uses of uh, crack cocaine. Uh, I ended up doing a 30-day program out in uh, Bridgewater. And I ended up uh, going to a 28-day program, which I didn't complete. Uh, but uh, I ended up at St. Paul's Cathedral uh, 19 months ago, uh, and I surrendered. I didn't know what I was doing, but I surrendered. I sat in the church from the time it opened to the time it closed. I wasn't moving. And slowly by slowly, uh, things started to happen. I remember six years ago when they had a shooting in the Boston Common. 
when two kids got shot and a bullet went in the governor's office. That's when things started to change for me because I knew that if, if we all stuck together because they didn't want us to live in the Boston Common anymore and they said we could sleep anywhere, but we were tired of sleeping every, anywhere. Uh, it was time for them to come out and give us housing. Uh, I remember sleeping at the state house for three days, three nights. Um, outreach workers started to come out to talk to us, uh, sign papers. Uh, and I was doing this for five years and doing the same thing over and over again. I was wondering when I was going to get my housing. And it dawned on me that if I stopped smoking crack cocaine, I could probably get housing, which, which it did. Uh, but like I say, I, I still... And the way I looked was awful. My God, I had real long hair and I had a real scraggly beard. And I, I looked like Scooby-Doo, because that's my nickname, Shaggy. I really looked like the character. Uh, and um, I was a mess. Uh, I didn't know if I was coming or going. Uh, I was still in trouble with the law. I had warrants. Uh, when they gave me my housing back in July, I still panhandle today, because I don't have a job. Um... And I only do it for about maybe an hour, hour and a half. I still get up like everybody else to go to work. That's beautiful. Because uh, no matter what the weather is, well, now that I have a place, I can make up my mind whether I want to go or not. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I don't push the issue. Uh, I get what I need. Uh, I need transportation money. I need cigarettes, the basic stuff. Uh, and I'm all done. Uh, I still don't understand how people think. Uh, because I have my moments where uh, I, too, ask God why uh, a lot. Because uh, I say to myself, well, do, really, do people really go to church? Because they really listen, right? Now, I'm standing out there freezing cold about 6.30 in the morning. You know how cold that is, right? Whew. Beautiful. <laughs> and I'd be standing there waiting till about 7 o'clock. And i stand there till about 8, 8.30. And... When I say times have changed, times have changed. Just like I have changed, because when, I, when I'm standing there shaking, do you think anybody would buy me a cup of coffee? No. Uh, they have a National Donut Day. Did you know that the Dunkin' Donuts has a National Donut Day once a year? And a National Coffee Day? If you buy a medium coffee, you get a free donut. Beautiful. And I remember days like that where Nobody would give me a donut or a cup of coffee. And, and, I, and it's like a lot of other things that, you know, well, the walk for hunger. I started the walk for hunger at the church a couple of years ago. Uh, I remember standing outside at a service, and I was thirsty, and they were having a walk for hunger, and they were passing out free water. Now, as a homeless person, um, geez, I need something to drink. They wouldn't give me the glass of water. And I was really upset. <laughs> I was really upset. I was heated. And my uh, minister, Tina, came over and she asked me what was the matter. And I said, well, these people won't give me a glass of water. They're having a walk for hunger. Well, geez, I'm hungry and thirsty and tired. and I can't even get a glass of water. I don't, you know, I don't understand what's happening here. And uh, that's how actually we started to walk for hunger. I've done a lot of beautiful things. Uh, during my travel, during my, my, my experience, 
I do a lot of volunteer work today because I've taken from society for so long. I think it was time for me to give back. Uh, I, uh, that court thing uh, with the warrants. I, when I got my place to live, I was living in Dorchester, and I actually moved to Malden not too long ago. But uh, I would see a billboard that said, uh, Say Surrender. And I see that every morning, and it kind of make me mad. Because <laughs> I knew I had warrants, and they're probably watching me. And uh, I was living in a room. It was, look, reminded me of a jail cell. And I would think about the say surrender thing all the time. And I, I brought it to the attention to the church, and it sounded good, and I went and did it. Uh, it was scary. Uh, I thought they were going to take me because of my track record, because uh, of my past. Uh, I uh, had all kinds of letters from all, kind, from all the ministers and people that I work with, uh, an agency called Hope Crown, who helped me get housing. Um, and I went to court. And I stayed, and I went to this thing in Mattapan, and I stayed there all day long, shaking. They wanted to take me. And my lawyer, the lawyer I had said, well, reading, because he read all the letters and all the recommendations and what I was doing, and he said, look, if they're going to put you in jail, they're going to put me in jail. And I said, oh... I didn't want to put me in jail. And I was scared because I'd been there before, and it's not, it's not like it used to be. Uh, and I couldn't see myself doing that, especially just after I got housing. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, that would really put a damper on me. Uh, but things worked out. Um, they gave me three years, eight months probation. Uh, which is fine, because I still do what I do today. I, I, I have a lot of probation officers today, believe it or not. Uh, I, I still do what I do on a good side. Uh, but my problem is housing. Since I got my housing, there's a lot of loneliness in it, uh, living by myself. Actually, I have a couple of people staying with me because I don't forget where I came from. I know what it's like out there. So I invite people into my house to stay. And plus, I enjoy the company. Plus, I have a personal cook. Beautiful. So it gets better. Uh, because I don't know how to do that stuff today. Uh, make my own meals and stuff and survive. And I, I pace up and down my room a lot, thinking I'm in trouble all the time. I don't know why. I, I still live in fear. Uh, but... Uh, when I do volunteer work, I, I, I get to share my experience and my strength and my hope because I never forget, I'll never forget where I came from. Um, I, I, I've done a lot of stuff in life that some were good and some were bad, but uh, it's, it, to me it's all good because it's an experience that I'll never forget, which keeps me strong today. My spiritual background today is a lot better than it was, oh, let's say 33 years ago. Uh, since when I was a kid, uh, I'm not getting any younger. I'm getting older. Uh, when I walk with Christ, I, I, I walk with, with my head up high, and, and I talk to myself, and uh, I, I know a lot of people. I, I, maybe it's one of these days I'll become mayor, but uh, I know I'll have a lot of votes, um, and that's a good thing because. Uh, it's nice to walk down the street and be recognized today. Uh, instead of walking down the street with my head hung low, looking for the whatever, 
uh, it's a beautiful thing. I, I like Sunday because I'm in church all day. Uh, I like Sunday because it takes up my day, basically. Uh, it, it, I, I, you know, my routine is not different from when I was living in the street, basically. I still get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, whether it's a holiday or a weekend. I'm up. I'm up ready to go. Beautiful. And the reason why I always say beautiful because life is beautiful. I can do these things today. Uh, and um, I thank God for putting me here. This is a beautiful church. I really like this church. Um, I like going to church, period, because it gives me my, my, nourish, my spiritual nourishment for the week. Um, I, I, I'm kind of tired because I, I went to a meeting yesterday and uh, I felt like I've been in the classroom, which has been a long time since I sat in the classroom. <laughs> and it's a lot of stress, uh, but it's worth it because it makes me stronger. And I'll give you an example. Now, like I said, I was on probation, right? Now, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Now, all of a sudden, this probation officer wants to surrender me. Beautiful. Because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't make sense to me. And having a spiritual background makes me stronger because and doing the things that I do today make me stronger. And I'm going to fight it. You know what I mean? I, I feel 100% sure that I am still going to walk the face of this earth a free man because I can't tie a good man down. And that's the way, I, you know, I, I thank God for that feeling because when you saw, if you saw me when I was going through that safe surrender thing, wow, I was a wreck, huh, Kathy? Oh, my God. I didn't know if I was coming or going. And um, today, I, I'm confident in, in what I do today, uh, which is a beautiful thing. I thank God, uh, always, because uh, I thank God because I never don't want to forget where I came from. Uh, I do city reach and stuff at the church, and I get to work with the young, young youth, and uh, they're beautiful, too. Uh, I like sharing, you know homelessness to people and showing them where to sleep and stuff where I used to sleep and what I used to do and you know if it wasn't for the Boy Scouts or the Cub Scouts I don't think I would have been able to survive out here out there because they taught me a lot when I was a kid on survival and um, thank you Thank you, David. If David hadn't blessed us with his story, and if I hadn't gotten to know him, I probably would look at him just like I did that guy with the dog in San Francisco and say, well, he looks quite able to work. Why doesn't he just get on with it? And worse, I probably would have forgotten the eighth thing that I used to tell their kids that their pets and all of us need too, and that's love. The common cathedral community is full of people like David, each with their own unique and very complicated history. The common theme among them is tragedy, whether from abuse, war, accident, or illness, or most often some combination of the above. Who knows what they were like before tragedy struck, before they fell into homelessness, 
substance abuse and mental illness, especially depression, are often involved, sometimes as a contributing factor to homelessness or sometimes as a result of experiencing homelessness. In the face of all of that, many people have simply given up, and they often don't believe that they deserve anything better than what they have. So why should they try? If this feels overwhelming for you to hear about, think how it is for the people who are living it. But there is good news. At Common Cathedral, we form supportive spiritual community to help people rise above the despair and the hopelessness that they feel so that they can advocate for themselves to receive the basic necessities of life. We meet them where they are, on the streets, and we try to help them find some hope through witnessing to God's love. Our ministers, volunteers, and partner congregations build relationships with the poorest people of Boston to walk with them on their journey and to be that embracing, loving family that they need. Everyone needs a place where they're known by name, where they can feel safe and loved and valued. Common Cathedral is that place, that spiritual home, that family, in which people who have experienced homelessness for a long time can begin to find hope for a better life. A large part of Ecclesia's mission is bringing together housed and unhoused people in spiritual community. When church groups like yours, your youth group is visiting today, when they come to Common Cathedral, they usually come because they want to help. They're focused on serving lunch and filling the needs of others. But once they've been part of our worshiping community, stood side by side with people who live outside and praise the same God, held hands with them and proclaimed, we will overcome. By the end, they're usually telling me, it's hard to tell who was homeless and who wasn't. They're just like us. These faithful people who come with the intention of feeding the poorest among us are often surprised to find that they too were fed by the interaction. Our common cathedral worship takes place every Sunday on Boston Common near the fountain near the Park Street tea stop. We gather in a circle around a portable altar, and after blessing the bread and the grape juice, we invite the people with the words, the gifts of God for the people of God. And while elevating the gifts, we turn 360 degrees. When I make that gesture, I understand it to mean that the gifts are for everyone and that the people of God are everywhere in front, behind, on all sides, and even beyond range of my eyes. This gesture helps me to remember that the people of God are not just us inside this building, but the people of God are all of us, even those people out there, too. So how can you continue to be involved in bringing God's love to the poorest and most vulnerable people in our society? First and foremost, you can keep the common cathedral community in your prayers. Individuals can volunteer on a regular basis in any of our programs. You can support us financially. We depend on the generosity of congregations like yours and individuals such as yourselves to finance the ministry. Ecclesia is an independent ecumenical organization and receives no institutional support from any denomination. I thank you. Thanks to Trinity for your recent gifts. We ask that when you and your family are discerning your giving for the year, that you would remember Ecclesia Ministries. If any of you have connections to charitable foundations, I'd love to speak with you about applying for a grant. 
Thank you for inviting me here today, and I look forward to speaking with you after the service. And David and Ken will be available to speak with you as well. Amen.